from Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Today, we welcome farmer Claire Hintz of Elsewhere Farm in Herbster, Wisconsin. Hear Claire's story starting in the urban scene of Chicago and ending up on her farm with some academic detours along the way. Claire Hintz runs Elsewhere Farm, a 40-acre farm located near the south shore of Lake Superior. If you can farm here, you can farm anywhere, she says. The farm uses organic practices and permaculture design principles and has over 700 fruit and nut trees. Her intensely planted market garden features heirloom and open-pollinated vegetable varietals, bees, and rare-breed Icelandic chickens. Thank you, Claire, for joining us today on our In Her Boots Cod podcast and sharing your story, which I always love hearing. And every time we talk about your history, I always learn something new about you (laughs) because you're a wonderful example of how all of our life pieces fit together, right? Even if we might not know where they're going to go when we start, because you did not grow up with a farming background, right? How did, where are your roots? I grew up in Chicago, uh, right? So I didn't know the word farming, uh, as you might imagine, coming up from that background. Um, And so I think I wrote on my college application that I wanted to practice self-sustainable living. (laughs) Farming was not a word anybody knew. But uh, I interned on a farm in northern Wisconsin when I was a college student. And um, where'd you uh, go to school? Northland College in Ashland, Wisconsin. Yeah. And then I interned on um, Northwind Farm in Bayfield and then uh, loved it. Like that just sealed the deal. I knew that I was going to be a farmer and I knew I was going to be a farmer in northern Wisconsin next to Lake Superior. (laughs) Uh, Funny. Yeah, amazing how that turns out. Um, And so after I graduated, I I did one more internship just to sort of check that this was really like maybe it was only that farm. And and, um, I interned at Silver Sage Farm in the same area and got a little bit different set of skills, uh, production skills with uh, herbs and flowers and and small scale vegetables and and um, but it did confirm that I was going to move back and be a farmer in northern Wisconsin, <laughs> and it was um, it was not um, I I'd, I'd always sort of expected I leave Chicago um, just because I grew up with an environmental background. We always went to parks, went camping, and the city, you know, just wasn't it was it was too. It was too much concrete for me, but oddly, um, I I was sort of sad to leave it when I finally did. Uh, but I don't regret at all leaving. And people kind of wonder how I made the transition from you know eight million people to a town of two hundred. And um, I don't have a good exclamation explanation for that, but uh, it's been great. It's been great. A lot of transplants, so that's not unfamiliar. Um, 
And the amenities there, I mean, I can go to a fabulous concert and not have to find parking. Uh, it and, might be free. And, every, and it might be free. And uh, everyone is an artist. And so there's art everywhere. And I get to see wolves running down my road. You know, that's, I love that. So. But you are so far north. I mean, you can yes. just about see Lake Superior. And I, yeah. it, it's amazing because... Truly, if you can farm where you are, you can farm anywhere. That's what I thought. That was kind of the, you know, like, <laughs> did you want that challenge? You know, challenge. Like, yeah, I, you know, I don't go for small, you know, like I could have farmed in California. And there's definitely times when so I'm like, it's just so you know, easy. <laughs> I could be farming in Missouri or something, you know, and I could, but no, uh, no, it was, it was really the lake that drew me having grown up on like Michigan. Lake Superior is just that much wilder. And I thought, yeah, if I can farm here, I'm already trying to demonstrate something very countercultural. I might as well go all the way. And if I can do it here, people can do it anywhere. So what did you transition to the farm right from school then? I went to uh, a What what did you major in? Yeah. So my bachelor's degree, I have a lot of degrees. My bachelor's degree is in biology and writing. Uh, creative writing. Uh, and my master's degree was in sustainable systems agroecology. So I, w- I went with a very specific question after my internships, which was, how do you know you have good soil health? And I, I couldn't get good answers, good like mathematical answers from the farmers I was working with. So that was my focus at, at, at the master's level. And that was great. Uh, it really gave me the theory behind what I'm doing now. It was the only master's program in the country at the time that had a permaculture track. So I could really look at permanent perennial agriculture um, combined with sustainable living um, at the same time. And then there was a green building track and a... Um, restoration ecology track. It was it was great fun. Um, I moved back to Chicago after that uh, to work in the inner city and the suburbs around uh, organic gardening and pesticide use reduction. And that sort of sealed the deal again, because I was sitting on a council um, allocating state dollars for research for the four land grants in Illinois. And I would sit on these committees, and I was in the natural resources, uh, air quotes right there, natural resources subcommittee, and I'm sitting in the room with a couple of farmers, organic and conventional farmers, and all the agrochemical companies. And Mm -hmm. so they're the ones making decisions about what research gets funded from public dollars at the land grants. Since then, the um, process has gone away, that funding has gone away. Uh, because now the the uh, the uh, the industry just funds the universities directly, um, but it really sealed the deal to me. You know, <laughs> short track, short track. Uh, so it, but it sealed the deal deal for me because it just everyone at that table could say that the way we understand farming right now is going to collapse. And they all had different ideas about how they were going to fix that problem. But we were sitting in a room in southern Illinois, surrounded by, you know, the the most fertile land in the world, eating beef from Brazil, because that's how the food system works. And I just thought that, you know, we've got to demonstrate something else, because we would fund these proposals over and over and over again, just to reinforce the same thing. And so it it gave me the determination to just say, you know, 
first of all, I've got to get out there and model something different. Second of all, the only way I'm going to have a voice is as a farmer, because I'm not going to be heard as some policy person from Chicago. And I'm probably thinking you were one of the few women on those panels, too. (laughs) Yes, I was. Uh, Yeah, there were maybe, uh, I don't know, out of a group of 100, there were maybe five women in the whole room. And of course, everyone is white as you know <laughs> so diversity does not reign in that was, decision making like that no huh? no we were before before some awareness i think yeah I don't, but you yeah. found that striking your own entrepreneurial path which i could totally yeah. personally relate to too was, was creating a platform that you could yeah control yep i could demonstrate um exactly the model that i wanted to and i thought you know there's got to be a way to figure this out, you know, and lo- like lots of aspiring farmers. There's got to be a way to make this work financially. And uh, and I feel very proud of, of the business that I've created. There are still vast challenges to having a sustainable business as a farmer. Um, you know, if we don't fix the farm bill, we're, ne- we're never going to have a viable livelihood in agriculture, especially in sustainable agriculture. Um, that's another topic <laughs> for another day. But, uh, but we could do pretty good. Um, so... Yeah, I picked up and moved to northern Wisconsin. The first thing I did was buy a tractor, and that integrated me into the entire community because this young woman from Chicago picked up and bought a farm in the far north of Wisconsin, three miles from Lake Superior, and bought some guy's used international 340 tractor, and uh, and uh, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. No, and I, you know, people sometimes talk about trying to integrate in a rural community that they don't come from. I didn't find any problem with that at all. Um, and I certainly didn't find any problem being a woman farmer in that area. I think because everybody respected the um, the the self reliance and the and the get it done and the and the you know making your own way kind of attitude. There's I had. a real self resilience yeah. in yeah. The, the further hi- rural hinterlands, whichever yeah. direction you go. In your yeah. case, north. That yeah, that is really powerful. Yeah, and, and it, it speaks to all all types of people. But you yeah. are a person, too, who always keeps an open door. Yeah. And I'm sure that helped in the community connection side, too. Oh, yeah. So what, when did, what did you start Elsewhere Farm, then? I started in 2001. I bought the farm in 2000 and actually rented it back to the original owner, or, or the not the original owner of the farm, but the, <laughs> the owner that I purchased it from. And the plan had been to pay off the mortgage while I was working in Chicago. And that lasted exactly one year. Uh, I can tell you the day I was si- si- sitting on the train on the um, uh, the L with a friend of mine headed back to my town. And, and we were both just like, you know, this is it. We're done. We're out of here. <laughs> and literally, I was. Literally a moment. Within, yeah, it was, yep. Uh, it was a, a February day, maybe January day. And I had just had it, uh, and uh, yeah, and by May I had moved. <laughs> well, well, that's really interesting because everybody has different paths, right? I was determined. But you knew, <laughs> and then that day happened, and it sped up your timeline. Bottom line, it did speed up my timeline. I was, you know, I planned for it, so I'd had some savings. I knew I wasn't going to find a job right away up there, you know, and I knew that I needed a job. Um, to cash flow the farm to get it off the ground. So um, I was quite practical about having an off-farm income, you know, for the beginning part of the farm and building it up over time and then gradually weaning myself off of the other jobs. Um, And I can say that uh, 20 years later, it's been a good plan. (laughs) Um, Almost 20 years later. Wow. So describe Elsewhere Farm. Yeah. It is a production permaculture farm in zone four. So it's... um, 
orchards, it's berry bushes, it's a quarter acre of vegetables, very small, uh, but very productive. And I've got livestock, I've got rare breed pigs, guinea hogs, and I've got uh, laying hens that are both integrated into all of this stuff. So I think about the farm as one system. And so the more that I can integrate all of the flows of the farm together, uh, I think the more efficient it's going to be and the more, uh, the less work I have to do. And that's, that's a permaculture principle or biodynamic principle too. Um, and so that's served me very well. Because one thing that I always find so intriguing about you is you really balance the I mean, it balances the right word, but you love the research side, right? Yeah, and you I'm love. Nerd. Yeah, but <laughs> it shows in your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, if anything, I've lent leaned more towards um, really geeking out on the ecological connections of everything on the farm and um, worrying less about the the financial return, which I think overall has paid off for me uh, because. Um, at this point, I can really see the synergies between all the parts of the system, um, having the pigs moving through the orchard in the early, early spring. Um, the fertility is incredible. And having the chickens go through, you know, I've still got my, I have them carefully timed with my um, orchard plantings and when they ripen so that the, the chickens are out of there. So I still get my 90 day window of fresh manure application and organic standards picking fruit. Uh, but the chickens moving through there, they, I, I very rarely have a an insect pest problem in my organic apples. I've never sprayed anything. In wow. There. And uh, they just devour everything. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've learned that those little tiny fruits on the trees are tasty. So that's unfortunate. But, <laughs> you know, over time you kind of modify. So, okay, maybe dwarf apple trees wasn't the best plan. You know, so those things change over time. And uh, it's really, it's kind of fun to see after so many years of just kind of building up piece by piece. You really get to see, you know, the, the synergy pays off when five other thing, problems get solved when you weren't even trying, you know, by, <laughs> by doing this one other thing. Yeah. And then, so I've got um, a mixed operation and I'm designing it for a solo farmer, one person's labor. I do have interns, but um, they're there to learn. And by the time they actually get good at anything, they're about to leave. So, you know, they're, I'm putting as much into them as, you know, they're putting into the farm. Um, so it's designed for one person and it's designed for year-round income. So I have a winter CSA. I have a winter greenhouse um, producing greens all winter long. I store crops in my root cellar. Um, to ship out in the CSA as well. I have an agreement with a neighboring farm to buy cheese, uh, but I've got eggs, and so they get a, a pretty diverse box in the wintertime. And then uh, summer CSA, farmer's markets, and some wholesale too. So diverse markets as well as diverse crops. And it, those markets really let me do weird things, small amounts of weird things. Uh, my CSA is delighted to get, you know, a small handful of whatever, you know, a like couple what, times a year. What, what are some of them? Like, weird stuff? Uh, you know, I've gone and collected wild rice and oh, they get yeah. a small amount of wild rice, you know, and um, that's pretty precious commodity and, and um, they don't get much of it, but it's a treat and it's not something that you can do if you're a very large CSA. Um, it's just, it's harder to be able to have a very diverse set of crops, I think. Um, and so, you know, everything I do, potatoes, I've got. 15 or 16 different varieties. I've got 20 different varieties of garlic. I've got wow. um, 16 different varieties of apples and 
uh, eight or nine varieties of, well, more now, uh, probably 10 varieties of pears and, you know, on and on and on. So um, as many things as I can make diverse, I think it expands the window of harvest. It um, smooths out the labor cycles a lot. And it makes it interesting in the box. So, uh, you know, if I can do five colors of tomatoes, that's great, you know. <laughs> um, and you still manage it all on your own. I do, yeah. Yeah, my uh, partner gets um, shanghaied into um, occasional help, like, uh, oh my gosh, it's going to freeze tonight. We got to get the 2,000 bulbs of garlic in the ground. <laughs> uh, and bless his heart, he does that with me. Um, and uh, I forget what the crisis was this winter, this this fall. Oh, I know. It was uh, six weeks of flooded ground. We had to get the carrots out, you know, so he's out there with me on a nasty day just forking up carrots, you know. <laughs> but hey, you try and manage for those fewer of those moments, yeah. But, but your goal has always been to create a farm business that you could manage yourself. Yeah. I mean, not growth or right. duplication right. or right. typical yeah. traditional business yeah. models, might I mind you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and I still hear that pressure even in um, a lot of organic circles too. And and the reason I'm, I'm very deliberately choosing to stay small, choosing to stay very diverse, choosing to stay mostly hand-powered, um, choosing to stay solo because I think it's much better for a rural economy to have a lot of business owners Com- compared to bigger businesses which have workers. Um, there's just more attention to detail. There's more money that goes back in the local economy, all of those things. And so I would much rather incubate a beginning farmer who's going to start off you know, creating her own business, then send her off into the world, then have, you know, 10 workers, you know, on my farm that, you know, get pretty comfortable just being a worker and not a farm owner with all the headaches that comes, that comes with. Uh, so that's, that's my model. Yeah. That's what's so inspiring about, I find about women farmer stories like yours is yeah, it's creating your own model. It's yeah. not a rule book or a playbook or <laughs> even doing what other people do. Although you share resources. Yeah. I mean, you've hosted our In Her Boots workshops and are always so transparent about what you do as far as yeah. supporting other people. But that's not what they teach in business school. <laughs> that's right. Compete, compete. Well, we'll talk more about specific ideas and tactics that you do use farming a solo operation as a woman in our next podcast. So stay tuned. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots Project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org. 